0: Good morning, Greater Alton. I'm glad to see everybody made it here today with the weather outside. My name is Gary. I want to welcome everybody out. We're happy to have you here today, especially if this is your first time with us. We are concluding a series uh, today uh, on the true message of the Gospel. We began looking at this uh, five weeks ago, uh, just to start the year, uh, our theme for the year of Fill Me came from Colossians chapter 1. And in the early verses of Colossians chapter 1, Paul was talking about uh, the admirable characteristics of the Colossian church and um, how this was a result of them understanding the true message of the gospel, believing the true message of the gospel, that their faith and love came from the hope held out in the true message of the gospel. And so we've been looking at this and we've talked about the bad news. The gospel is considered good news. Well, what was the bad news? We've talked about the significance of understanding the gospel correctly and the fact that there were different gospels in the first century and how there are different gospels today. Uh, we went on to talk about how the gospel holds out new life, as the offer of new life, and that's the real significance of the resurrection uh, for Now, is that we can live a new life now. Um, and today we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. Last week, we ta- or two weeks ago, I talked about this new life that is held out there. And today we want to talk about living this new life. See guys, years ago, uh, when I was first exposed to trying to help people understand the Gospel and teaching them the Gospel, uh, I was exposed to something called the plan of salvation. And I was exposed. The church I was going to at the time had their version of the plan of salvation. And they told you other plans of salvation that other denominations had. And one of them was always they would want to emphasize anyway at the end that after a person was baptized, the next step was to live faithfully. And there is truth in that. And that's what we're going to be discussing today is how do we live this new life that's held out in the gospel? You see, guys, I believe living this new life is what the church is to be all about. It's not about being religious. It's not coming here on Sunday mornings or being involved in other activities so you can check your boxes off to say you've done the right thing. It's about living a transformed life that Jesus died to give us. And that's what we want to talk about. If you look at these two passages here in your notes, the first one's in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. In Romans 6 it says Paul says the same thing a little bit different. He says therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, guys, when you accept the Gospel, when you accept what Jesus has done for you by dying on the cross and giving, having your sins forgiven, and you submit to Him in baptism and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week, you have the opportunity to live a new life. Now, as i talked about, and I've talked about repeatedly up here, that doesn't just automatically happen. It's not like you're zapped and everything's better, you're different. It's a choice that has to be made. And you see this, guys, when you look at the early church, you see that a lifestyle was developed. A lifestyle sprung out of their faith after they were baptized. This is evident in Acts chapter 2. After the first Christians were baptized, this is what they had to say about them. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, guys, when it, when it describes these early believers, I believe it's plain, it's plain to me anyway that they're describing a new lifestyle. These folks were doing things now that they didn't do before. They were selling possessions and giving to anyone who had need. Later in Acts chapter 4, it tells us there was no needy person among them. Well, how does that come about? Well, guys, it's a lifestyle. In fact, you go so far that this lifestyle was noticed by those even outside the church. Uh, I should have done a little more research on what I'm about to say, and so I, I, I may be open to being wrong. But there is a way... That the church, that the Christians were described in the book of Acts, that that shows this. If there's about nine different places that they are referred to as the Way. Now I'm not positive that was placed on them by outside of, outside of, uh, outside of the church by non-Christians, but the context seems to lead me in that direction. And like I said, I'm open to being wrong. But if you look at this passage in Acts chapter 24, This is what Paul says. He says, however, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. You see, guys, when you look at the early church, there was a way they lived. In fact, it was described as the way. It was different. It stood out. It was literally the transformed life that Jesus died and raised from the dead to give us. And so guys, today what we want to talk about is, is how this comes about. You see guys, followers of Jesus live a life in a new way. And so the question is, how do I live my life this new way? Assuming you've made a decision about Jesus, you've made the decision to accept His offer of salvation and His offer to be your Lord, and you've submitted to Him in baptism, there's a transformed life that should take place. But unfortunately, as I said earlier, it doesn't just happen. You have to make some decisions. So how do I go about it? Well, the first thing we need to do is I dictate my desires. I chose the word dictate very carefully. I chose that word because I want you to know, without a doubt, that you have the ability to choose your desires. I have my two nieces living with me right now, Bethany and Brie. And I will talk to them all the time. You see, they are females, one on the verge of becoming a teenager, the other fully engulfed in being a teenager. And I have four words. Girls, can you tell me what those four words are? (laughs) She's not saying them again. The four words are this. I choose my mood. Think those are pretty important words when you have teenage girls in the house? Yes, they are. And guys, I've told them this for a couple years now on the way to school when moods seem to be uh, needing to be chosen, shall I say. And... I've told them beyond that, I tell them, guys, you have the most powerful thing in the world at your disposal. And it's the power to choose. And you see, guys, this is illustrated here in Colossians chapter 3. This is what Paul is telling this Colossian church. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He tells them to set their hearts and to set their minds on things above. Now, I think it's pretty obvious. He's telling us that we have a choice of what our hearts and our minds are going to be set on. And he makes it very clear as a follower of Jesus what I should have my heart and my mind set on. And that is the things above. And he goes on to say, what is that? This is where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is a position of power. You see, Jesus, the Messiah, our Christ, is seated at the right hand of God. And He is our King. And the way that you set your heart and mind on things above is by doing what Jesus told us to pray for. He told us to pray in what we call the Lord's Prayer, to pray for your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you see, guys, we are choosing to set our mind on things above when we decide that we want the King's will, the Lord's will, God's will done in my life the way it is in heaven. And you set your mind on what the King desires. That's what you set your mind on. That's setting your mind on things above. And it's a choice. You can pray, and I encourage you to pray for God to help you with that. Because I know it's a challenge. But ultimately, guys, it's a choice. You choose what you are going to think about. You choose what you are going to give attention to. You choose what you are going to desire, what you are going to dream about, what you are going to fantasize about, what your life is going to be in the future. And as followers of Jesus, we're told to live by faith and to trust God for what our life is going to be like in the future. And our focus should be on doing the will of God today. Now the question is, do you do that? Do you get up in the morning and do you ask yourself, what's the will of God for me now? Is that what your mind is set on? Is doing the will of God today, no matter what situation I find myself in. See guys, I'm excited. I have a growing excitement about this special contribution that we're having. Uh, when Tim and Alan and I first started talking about having this and presenting it to the church, I said, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. I'm all about paying down the mortgage on this building because I do consider it uh, to be a financial burden for the church here at Greater All." And uh, as the man who was treasurer when that all took place, when the mortgage uh, was initiated back in 2003, uh, I feel a special responsibility, a special burden uh, to see that paid down, and so I mean, I, okay, that's a good idea. Was my feeling, but that good idea is changing to excitement. And you want to know why? Because I believe it's beginning to give the Greater Alton Church, as a group, a focus. See, our goal in paying down the paying down our mortgage isn't just to get it paid off quicker. Isn't so we can say, okay, now we got it paid off. We can give all the staff big raises. Okay? That's not what it's all about. And by the same token, we're not paying it off so we can say, hey, we want all you guys to cut your contribution in half. That's not our goal either. I'm sorry. But that's not what we're after. Guys, our goal is that we believe we can do a better job of using the resources God's given us to serve the will of the King. That is what we're after. We recognize very clearly... Two things that we are neglecting. One is helping the poor, and two is mission work. That there are parts of the world that need to know Jesus and financial resources are scarce. And we're living one of the richest nations that has ever existed, and we have the opportunity to help. You see, guys, we're we're calling you to help with this, not just to pay off a mortgage. And to help with a swimming pool at church camp. We're calling you this so that Greater Alton as a church can do a better job serving the Master with our resources. Because that is our desire. Our desire is to serve the will of our Master now and to set the example and to call you folks to that too. And guys, I'm getting excited about that. Guys, as I finish at this point, ask yourself what's the focus of your thoughts? What's the focus of your desires? When you get up in the morning and you go about your day, are you thinking about how do I satisfy the desires of my King now? Today? In whatever situation I find me? Or am I just going about being led along by whatever floats my boat? You know, I mean, and we can go into all kinds of things that consume our thoughts, whether it's our favorite sports team, whether it's our favorite sport, whether it's our favorite hobby, you name it, our favorite TV show. There are all kinds of trivial matters that I've found in my past that consume my thoughts besides satisfying the desires of my king. So guys, as we close out the point, I just want to throw out here, number one, uh, where are you at with that? Uh, I didn't think about it till late, or I would have put a little scale on your notes from 1 to 10. And so it, since it's not there, I'm just going to have to ask you to jot it down yourself. With 1 being, I go about my day doing whatever I want, thinking about whatever I want, not giving any thought to what my king wants. Or 10 being, it consumes my every thought. Now maybe you're not ready to do that right now, but I, I'm going to ask you that you do that sometime in the next day or so. That you you do a gut check. And you, you decide or you evaluate how much you are really choosing the desires of the King in your life. How much you are setting your heart and mind on things above. You see guys, one of the things... There is a little bit of a groundswell going on here at Greater Alton. And by groundswell, I just mean I'm hearing more and more people talk about it. And it's this little bitty five-letter word called unity. And we see where we're not united the way God wants us to be united. We have a growth area, if you will. And guys, I just want to tell you if that if you if you're on board with that, or whether you see it or not, the way you want to you want to promote unity is by making sure that every person, beginning with yourself here at Greater Alton, is interested in satisfying the desires of the king and has chosen to do that. Second thing, and you're gonna love this one. Second thing I need to do if I'm gonna live this new life is I become a serial killer. Didn't see that one coming, did ya? Well, guys, if you look at this passage in Colossians 3, I think it will explain it to you, and I think I need to explain it to you really quickly. But beginning in Colossians 3 and verses 5, it says, "...put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, because of these the wrath of God is coming." You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed In knowledge, in the image of its creator. Let me ask you a question. What have you killed lately? What have you killed? Let me illustrate this real quick. Okay. Paul, you're a hunter. Paul Mariolis, you're a hunter, correct? What's the last thing you killed? Two goats. You know that instantly, right? What'd you kill before that? Two pigs. Paul likes to hunt. Guys, my question is, what have you killed lately? Based off what Paul is saying here in Colossians 3, what have you put to death? You see, because there's a very long list of things there, and I'm just going to take a wild guess that all of us can look at that list or other similar lists in the Bible, and we have maybe one or two of those we might need to put to death. And so I'm asking you guys, what have you put to death? What are you in the process of killing? You see guys, I chose this very carefully again, a serial killer, because it doesn't stop with one thing. If I was God, I would have made it so you just kill everything once and you're done. You know, have one big... Massacre, and then I can go on living free of all these things for the rest of my life. But that's not the way God has set it up, or at least that's not the way the world is set up right now. When I put something to death, there's something else waiting to take its place. And the more I understand about how to live this new life, the more I realize I sinned the more I'm guilty of and the more things I see that I need to put to death. You see, guys, this is a daily process. Jesus put it this way in Luke 9. He says, Then He said to them, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow Me. You see, guys, crosses were for dying in the first century. If you saw somebody walking with the cross, you knew they were about to physically die. And Jesus is saying, we've got to deny ourselves and die daily. We have to put things in our life to death. And you got to understand something, guys. The goal is death. Death is a permanent situation you see the challenge is, is putting something completely to death and it being permanent see I believe that most of us we don't really want to put our sinful nature to death we just want to wound it okay that's all we do we want to, we want to kind of not but we want to leave open the door for it coming back to life and the reason for that is we enjoy it we think we're giving up something significant. That's the lie that Satan feeds us, by the way. And we think, how can I live without this? How can I get by without this? And we don't want to put things to death. See, guys, there's a story in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, about a married couple uh, by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, if you're familiar with the story, uh, it was a time in the church... When it said, you know, as I just told you, there was no needy person among them. From time to time, somebody would sell a piece of land or a possession they had, and they would bring the money to the church, and they would let the apostles distribute it to whoever had need. And Ananias and Sapphira got together, and they conspired, as it were, to give a portion of the money from the piece of land they sold, but to make it look like they gave it all. In fact, one of them was asked, is this all the money? And they said, yes, it is. Now, they were killed on the spot for their deception. And guys, I don't think the problem is the fact that they said, hey, I only want to give part of the money. The problem was that they wanted to look like they were giving all the money. They wanted to look like they had put to death their greed, if you will. Their selfishness, if you will. And guys, I just want to challenge you because I believe that is evident among followers of Jesus today. Where we want to look like we've put to death all these things of our sinful nature. We want to do just enough to make it look like we've turned our backs on sin. You know, maybe we kill a few. Maybe we knock out the big ones. But we don't really have a desire, the way our king does, for us to put to death anything. You see, guys, I mean some of this is big. I mean, you look at that list, you know, sexual immorality, that's that's a big issue sometimes. You can create all kinds of problems in your life. There's you know sex addiction is a real thing in our world today, and it's probably more rampant than what we even know about. But guys, there's other things. Greed in our world today is almost smiled upon. I mean, it really is. Have you seen Shark Tanks? Have you seen Mr. Wonderful? I make money, he says. Hey guys, that's what's the big deal? Is what we think. We justify having a little bit of it in our lives and not doing a real gut check and asking the question, Am I greedy? Or am I selfless? Am I greedy, or am I willing to give to help others? So I ask you again, what are you putting to death right now? What have you put to death recently? What are you planning on putting to death? See, one of the things, uh, we know a lot about serial killers nowadays, thanks to TV. Started with the movie *The Silence of the Lambs*, and 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 now you've got *Criminal Minds*. And it, from watching *Criminal Minds*, I gave up on it just because there's just so much death, and I don't like it. Not to mention that it's fake. But what they what you learn about serial killers, you learn that they have triggers that you have things that that set them off, that cause that stress them, and they go from being not a killer to being a killer. And then they, you have a stage where they are escalating. They start killing more often and less time between kills. And then they have a stage that's called they're hunting. They're looking for their next victim. And guys, I just, want, I just want to ask you: Look at these lists. What are you hunting? What are you wanting to put to death in your life? And and let me, let me encourage you to do something. Especially if nothing comes to your mind. Ask God to show you what you need to put to death. You don't really need to hunt. He'll answer that prayer, by the way. He will reveal to you what you need to put to death. Again, guys, I ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at? 1, I'm not killing nothing in my life. I'm not putting anything to death. 10, I'm killing things on a daily basis. I encourage you guys just to to do that evaluation yourself. The third thing here, to end on a positive note, third thing I need to do is I buy new clothes. I buy new clothes. What's that all about? Well, again, you look at the passage and it'll explain it. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. See guys, here's the deal. Paul's just told them put to death something and now he's telling them to clothe themselves with something. Basically what he's telling them is to get rid of something in your life and to replace it with something godly. Jesus revealed this spiritual fact in Matthew chapter 12 in verses 43 to 45. He tells us that when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes and searches for someone else to possess. And then it comes back to the person that it left, finds them swept clean, and it brings seven more demons, evil than it's more evil than itself, to possess the person, and the person's final condition is worse than it started. And what He's doing, I say He's revealing spiritual fact to us, what He's revealing to us is that it's just not enough to get the bad stuff out of your life. It's not enough to just get the sin out of your life and to put a few things to death. You have to replace it with characteristics of Him. With godliness, with characteristics that are becoming like Jesus. That is what he's saying. And what he says is, if you don't, you're going to be worse in the end than you were when you started. See, because as I talked, to, talked about earlier, guys, I believe we just want to wound our sinful nature. There's a few areas that we look at and we go, you know, this is causing me a problem. I want it to get better. And I, that's all we want. You know, you're, you're an alcoholic and, and you don't want to keep losing your job. You don't want your, your wife and lose your wife and kids. Or your husband and kids, uh, you don't want all those things, so you want to sober up. Okay? But this idea of, of being humble and being generous, you know, I don't really want that. And we all have a list of problems. One of the big problems today that brings people to churches a lot of times, or to be, begin seeking God, is they have problems in their marriage. And the church is, a, is, is seen as a place to get that taken care of. But all they really want is a better marriage. They have no desire to really be like Jesus. I'm not saying this universally. Let me say that, okay? I just want to make sure I qualify this. This isn't a universal statement. But sometimes that is the case where people come to church. They want to get their marriage better without realizing that for their marriage to really be all that God wants it to be. They've got to be what God wants them to be. And see, guys, that is the challenge. When we look at this, you see, guys, compassion is not something that comes to me naturally. Compassion is something that I have to learn how to have. It's not natural to me. Lust is natural to me. And so, guys, I've got to make a decision that I'm going to put on these characteristics of God, these fruits of the Spirit as are described elsewhere, and to replace these things that I've killed, these things that I've put off. You see, guys, you have to fill up that void or that space with something godly. You don't just stop hating your enemies. You start praying for them. You start doing good to them. You start forgiving them. See guys, it, it sometimes it takes a plan. You have to plan that out. Look at this passage in Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9. And this goes farther, it's the same the same thought. It says, "Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think" about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from Me or seen in Me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you." See guys, again, back. He's telling us what to have our thoughts fixed on. What do you want to have your thoughts fixed on? And again, guys, as I close out this point, I'm going to ask a scale of 1 to 10. Scale of 1 to 10. You know, are you a 10? Are you a spiritually like a teenage girl that can't get enough new clothes? Okay, that wants to add these godly characteristics into your life? Or are you a 1 who I'm going to describe as my son John Chapel? Okay? who's just happy to have it on anything. doesn't matter. He, he doesn't care about clothes at all. But guys, some of us are that way spiritually. We don't care about these characteristics that God holds up. I told Jonathan when he was in high school, or maybe he was in college, I said, you have a blank check for whatever clothes you want to buy. I don't know if I've ever had to sign that check. And you see, guys, that's the way some of us are spiritually. So I ask you to judge yourself, evaluate yourself, where are you at? And guys, in closing out, I just want to ask, does this new life describe your way of life? Is the way you're living life that you have your mind set on what the king desires? And because of that, you're putting to death things in your life? And because of that, you're clothing yourself with the characteristics of Jesus? Guys, as we, as we close out this series, I just want to ask you to, t- to check yourself out on that. Because it's a matter of just making a choice and using the power that we have through the Holy Spirit to live that life. And the challenge is, guys, if we're going to be this way as a church, if we're going to be a church where lives are transformed, then it means we have to have a lifestyle collectively that is living this new life. And that needs to be the focus of our conversations. That needs to be the focus of our, of our relationships, of our friendships. Are you talking with other believers who you're friends with about how the will of God is trying to be done in your life and how well you're doing it at doing the will? At putting to death these things and at clothing yourself the way Jesus wants you to be clothed. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, this new life is truly remarkable to me. Father, I've been religious and it didn't work. Father, understanding what You really want from me, understanding and accepting and choosing Your will in my life instead of mine, Has been revolutionary for me. Father, putting to death things is an unending task. Father, I want to pray right now as we've laid this out. I, I pray for every person in this room and I pray for their heart and their mind to be open to evaluating where they are at. And to be open to evaluating what they need to give attention to. Father, I pray it's our heart desire. To really have our mindset on what you want us to be. Father, that we are truly living this message of the gospel and not just trying to teach a plan of salvation. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.